This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. Here's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. Oh. They got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back. I'm Steph, and this is the first episode of the Burgundy Radio Podcast of the 2018-2019 season. If you've never listened before, we talk hockey here of the Colorado Avalanche variety, and we're coming at you right in between the rookie games and the main training camp. We've got a big show on tap for you. Joining me on the ride are Earl. What's up, Earl? How's it going, everyone? Tiger Vixen. How's it going, Jackie? Bonjour. And Rudo. What's going on, Rudo? Yo, yo. So let's start with the rookie showcase, since that's what just happened. And we'll get to the NHL guys shortly. In case you missed it, Colorado's prospects spent the last few days in Las Vegas playing against prospects from the Ducks, Sharks, and Golden Knights. The results of these games, not really so important. But Avs fall to Mini Vegas, what was it, 7-6? Yeah. And Mini Anaheim, 5-2. And then they beat Mini San Jose, 6-3, Tuesday afternoon. The newest Avs hope Martin Cout was on hand. What did we see out of him? Not a ton honestly and you know we expected this his conditioning and just hasn't been on the ice that much because of everything that happened with him in the offseason he did seem to put it together a good bit better in the third game but the first two it's not totally his fault it felt like the whole team was just totally sloppy and clearly guys that haven't played together much but he particularly a lot of the time didn't seem like he wanted the puck on his stick and that's fine. Like I'm not worried about it. I think it'll get where he needs to be, but he's going to need some time. Yeah. I noticed that he he wasn't reacting well to puck pressure. And I I think that's a function of not having sort of that extra rink width that uh, he would probably be used to on the, the international size ice. Um, And, you know, everyone has different ways they need to cope with, with going to the, north american uh, ice size so I, I i think that's probably what we're going to end up seeing with with Cout for you know a little while until he gets the hang of it um but i i think he's just too talented for that to be you know a thing for a long time i i think it's just sort of a learning curve he's going through i feel like he's gonna need a period of adjustment too and i felt like that Coming into the games as well, I was a little worried that the kind of the expectation bar would be a little too high just because he's a first rounder and is he going to do what Miko did? And, you know, even it even took Miko a while to look comfortable in these kind of settings, the rookie games and such. I felt like in the third game, Kaut stopped trying to do a little bit too much and focus on what he's good at, which is defense and passing. And I think. That'll be kind of like his his baseline of his game, and then he can kind of build off of that. But I have to also keep in mind how young he is. He's still 18. He'll turn 19 soon, but he is still 18 right now. And I think it, it's a lot for him to get used to because he played in the Czech Republic his whole life and, and the big ice. But you could see flashes, especially in like the, the rookie camp day. You see the talents there. I think some people are worried that like the actual skill level and the talent isn't there. And I disagree. It's just, 
the matter of him putting it all together. I'm glad to hear that he simplified today. Obviously, I, I have a day job, so I wasn't able to <laughs> watch that game, where I can't make my own schedule like, like some of y'all do. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't able to see this game, so my, my entire impression of the Rookie Showcase comes from what we were able to see of the game against Vegas, with that it spent half the, the game with the dead stream, and then the game against Anaheim. So, um... He, he definitely seemed to me like he was trying to do way too much and be way cuter than he needed to. And also, like, he didn't understand how much time he had. So it's good to hear that those things are already starting to kind of click a little bit more. Like, okay, this is what's going on at this level. He did have an empty net goal. So hey, fake points. That's how you feel about empty net goals, but, you know. He's our next Matt Nieto, I guess. He made it happen. Um. <laughs> I, I also, you know, I, I tried focusing on him sometimes, um, just sort of watching what he was doing when he didn't have the puck. And, and that was actually a little bit better, just sort of you know, for, for a guy his age and moving up uh, to this level. Um, you know, he, he he's a lot more proficient defensively uh, than, than Miko, really. And, and I know that's not saying much, but, um, you know, I. I, I think his smarts in the defensive zone are something that are that, that is going to develop a lot quicker than it has for for Miko and then you know maybe some of the other guys that are um, you know some of our our higher first round picks. So I, I you know he's sort of a different guy um, than anyone we've drafted recently, um, and and I think that's going to be nice because. I, I think it'd be very difficult for him to sort of out-talent Miko and, and be the, the first-line center on the abs. Or, sorry, the first-line right wing. So <clears throat> if he can take a, a more defensive role as, as the second-line right wing, you know, be be more of a two-way player, I think that's probably exactly what the abs need. So maybe he doesn't score 80 points, but you know, he still puts up a lot of points, and he can play well in the defensive zone. And, and that, right. that's pretty much what they need. Perfect world, he's Landeskog light on the right side. Right. Or Landeskog right. And he's uh, you just left it sitting there. <laughs> and he's a pretty good passer. That's he showed some of that today. He made some especially exiting the D zone, he made some really nice passes. Yeah, and, and he's you know, he, he made a couple of those even in his sort of lackluster performances over the weekend. So I mean, you know, again, I, I think you know, if you're looking for the, the flashes of awesomeness in the offensive zone, you're probably pretty disappointed. But, you know, if, if you went back and, and isolated him for entire shifts and stuff, it, it might not seem so bad. So who's another guy that we had very high expectations for this week? Kamenev probably was maybe even higher than Kout, I think, for in a lot of people's minds. Well, and sure. A little bit of an age uh, difference there. Yeah, yeah especially right. that... He's expected to play in the NHL, and nobody expects Kout to play in the NHL. So where he's at is pretty fair, but Kamenev definitely needs to make a progression in a relatively short time. And I think today's game, like, assuaged a lot of people's fears, probably. Yeah, he wasn't real engaged on uh, Saturday evening, so, um, you know, that, that definitely caused some ripples in the space-time continuum for the Avs, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I think we saw this a little bit with, with Malosh as well. It's just when you're that far ahead of 
you know, what the general talent and experience level is of everyone on the ice, it, it's not like you can just go out there and blow everyone's doors off. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard not to match your level to what's out there. So, you know, expecting some guy that that's, you know, got some NHL experience and a lot of AHL experience to go out there and just dipsy doodle through everybody and score every shift that, you know, it's, it's completely unreasonable. And you're still, and he's still working with the same constraints that everyone else is of little practice time system chemistry. You know, it's, it's supposed to be sloppy. There's just only so much you can do in a short amount of time. And so he's dealing with that too, but he did look a lot better today. The goal he scored was that kind of like dominant type of play that I think people were hoping to see from him. And like, he's not a flashy game kind of guy. I mean, he'll make moves like that and score goals like that. But what Kamenev does is, is the puck protection and, and the hockey IQ and, and the passing. And he showed that. Like, you have to look for it. Because it is, it's not something flashy that's going to jump off the screen. But he uses his body well. I, I think he was doing that today. He was making some plays. Um, showed a little chemistry with Bodan, and they weren't even on the same line. I think it was just when they were caught out there together. Maybe that would be something to explore. But right. he he made a lot more happen today than if you had watched him on Saturday. Right. Like the player Kamenev is is way more the play he made on the empty netter than it was the goal that he scored. The goal was very nice, but on the empty netter, he takes a puck off of his visor. It ends up in the corner. (laughs) He goes and gets it and then makes a perfect lob pass to Kaut all the way down the ice. And Kaut just has a tap in from there. And that's the plays that you see from Kamenev or that we've seen from Kamenev in the AHL fairly regularly where he'll make a good play and feed someone else for a good goal. And that assist he had on um, Saturday was that too. I mean, he he didn't really get any credit for making that play. I think it was on Sajan's first goal, but that was also yeah, a nice play. Second assists just weren't they weren't a thing on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that was the primary, but nobody paid attention <laughs> that Kamenov actually did something decent that night. I tried so. to track as many assists as I could. <laughs> I got them all in the last game against Vegas. I got. The ones in the second game. You'll have but, to put yeah. an official tally in your last video, just so. <laughs> well, like, like who... three of the goals on the first game were, you know, we didn't even really have a feed to tell who it was. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so um, we're hearing that. <laughs> just kind of selfishly, I, all that I saw this week of Petr Kvacha was him getting lit up on on night one. So, did he look any better this afternoon, or was the puck still a BB for him? Yeah, he really did look good today. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not saying like, oh, he's back on track. He's an NHL or to be or anything like that. But uh, he redeemed himself for how poorly he played. He he can feel game. good about how he played today for yeah. sure. Like, and he saved 33 out of 36, and you know that that matches what Annan did um, Sunday night. He saved 32 out of 36, I think. Which I know those are total like made up numbers and everything, but. They really are. There was one point in the in the first game where the score was randomly giving shots to the wrong team. No, yeah, yeah the, no, that was the second game. The second game, they they started out giving Anaheim shots to the Abs or something, you know, vice versa. But then was they the switched over. 
Yeah, I don't the remember Anaheim the game second game very well. All three. All three. Play was so dull. Mess. Yeah. Yeah, but, so anyone know. looking at the shot total don't think like it's accurate at all. Just it's more of a guide. No. <laughs> idea yeah, of what, it's not like, even that. If you're looking but, at the shot total, stop. Maybe reconsider what you're doing. Um, like, Lachie did have maybe, maybe a, the, I think it was the five hole goal was a little soft. Yeah, it sure maybe, was. Maybe the two of the ones he gave up he'd, he'd like to have back, but I mean. You know, at that point, he did see a lot of shots, and, and he made one really great save that the announcers just lost their minds over. It's like a two-on-one, and he went across. I think he saved it with his leg. I it believe was like yeah. his elbow area, I think. Actually. Yeah, and but he can definitely be proud of of the the performance he put in today. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I thought he played very well. I'll be the downer guy and say that. I, he did play much better, but you know there were still a lot of issues there, especially with traffic in front. I think he has a really hard time tracking the puck. Um, based on his age, I was really hoping for a little bit more out of him. And we've we've talked talked about this before, but you know if he's going to go back to the Czech Republic and play in their second league, I don't see where he goes from here. Yeah, I mean, if he's not going to get a call up and you know some significant time in the in the top Czech league, then you know there there are some issues. <clears throat> so another big surprise over the summer for the Avalanche was you know we were make this draft pick and we're told well that guy's never coming over to North America and yet here he is on his new ELC Igor Svirov. Welcome to uh, to the prospect shows and honestly he impressed me quite a bit from what I was able to see. He He's did. been a nice, nice uh, I don't know if I'd say surprise is the right word, but just it, it's been encouraging. It's it's exciting to see uh, what he can do already. He just has such a high skill level and just knowing when he gets more comfortable and, and stronger on the puck, I think he's going to be really something. Yeah, he yeah. made some NHL level uh, passing plays that you know, they, they were so good that they were they were beyond who he was passing to <laughs> as far as them being able to do something with it. You know, it's just one of those things like, I'm not ready for this. That was such a good pass. I can't even believe I had it. <laughs> they realized a half uh, second later, holy shit, I should have had that. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they, there were a couple like wide open nets that he just, you know, and, and Kamenev actually is very good at this too. I I didn't see too many of it. Uh, things like that from him this weekend, but I've seen it from him in the AHL. But um, the skilled passes that just sort of find guys, um, you know, he, he sort of got that, and it's 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 very impressive. The one thing that might work against him, uh, just as with so many players in the Avalanche organization, he's a, he's a center, like a hard center. We saw him in the game one on the wing, and it wasn't great. And it was like night and day in games two and three where you put him on a center dot. He was really good in the face-off circle, and he could just create so much more from there. Yeah. Now, he's, I mean, you, you can't put him on the wing. He's just not a wing. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure probably after getting accustomed to North America and, and sort of the, the, the way the game is played here, maybe he could, you know, do spot duty on the wing for you. But, um, you know, I, I think you really want to develop him as a center and, and 
and go from there because he's just you know he he's very very skilled with his vision and finding people and you know i i think by the end of this year that's really going to show what this is definitely this one of those um i think probably playing the ahl most of the year right we'll see if if he's doing really well by the end of the year it wouldn't be crazy to think he could get a call up or something. So it just kind of depends the speed at which he develops. But I, I would think probably by the end of this year, or the beginning of next year, he should be in the realistic conversation. And a, and a bonus for him, he's actually quite good in the defensive zone as well. I mean, you know, he was this weekend. We'll, we'll see what, what he looks like in the AHL. But, um, you know, again, he's not—he's not just an offensive first guy. I mean, he's—he's he's comfortable playing defense. He's very feisty, which I loved. Um, that the game against Anaheim, he was just taking no crap from anyone. Yeah, I—I I think playing in a system, assuming the system isn't straight garbage like it has been sometimes in the past, can actually benefit him a lot too. Because with that passing ability, if you get to know your teammates and line mates better they're going to come to expect things from you and he'll be able to capitalize on that. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the huge thing we saw last year, I mean, first of all, I, I, you know, in, in total 2020 hindsight, we can see several reasons why they wouldn't let EV in on what the AV system was. Cause you know, maybe they had decided by then that, that he wasn't going to be around this year. And, you know, they definitely didn't want the blues prospects learning the avalanche system. So they were kind of, you know, they they were just sort of a dink and dunk team, and the biggest problem they had was creating space, since it was a it was a total net crasher system. So, it, if they have an offensive system that that's allowed to take advantage of skills um, that create space, like you know, nice royal road passes, which you know they've got a couple guys that can do that in Bodan and and Igor, and and you know if Kamenev sticks around. Um, you know that that's gonna that, that's gonna add like a goal per game. You know, and we're coming from like two goals per game, so don't get hot about it. But you know, it's gonna make them a competitive team. And I will say, he he was another guy that looked like he got better through the through the weekend. So, you know, if he can continue to even show a little bit in main camp with the NHLers, I assume he'll get at least one preseason game. So that would be exciting as well. Yeah, I mean that's the next step. You know what 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 does what we saw over the last three games? How does that translate into what what we're going to see? You know, against you know even like the Avs third and fourth lines. And I know a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about now from camp they're going to go quiet in main camp just because, because like you said, it, it, level of competition but also the roles they're going to have are going to be smaller but that's okay the only person that we're really talking about here that has much of an nhl shot is kamenev or at least you know in this camp next camp will probably be huge for guys like kaut and igor yeah i'm really into performances like what igor put out this weekend um just because i mean like, like I said at the, at the top, these rookie showcases, like, the result doesn't matter. You're, you're there to evaluate how guys look. And he looked like he was not on the same level as everybody else. He looked like he was just, a, you know, a step quicker. And and that's what you're looking for. That's what we were watching Tyson Jost and Alex Kerfoot for last season. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the Av Scouts have to be very happy with what they saw from him this weekend. So was there, uh, uh, we, we briefly touched on, on Nick Malosh. Was there a lot to say there? I don't really. No. I mean, I think, I think he did his job. He was there to be the, the leader on defense and, and, um, you know, I, I think he fulfilled that role. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said with him, similar to, to Kamenev, I mean, it, it's, it's tough for a guy like him to stand out when he doesn't have players around him that are on the same level. So right. Like in game one, look good. And he looked, you know, he, he didn't dipsy doodle through everyone and score. Like, you know, some people want him to, but you know, he looked fine for, for what you would want to see out of him. Yeah. Let me ask before we move on then as who did stand out. Well, I defense, it has to be Boykov. Uh, Yeah. He was the best defenseman there, but to be fair, there were some dregs like it wasn't that hard to stand out above a lot of the defensemen there yeah let's but talk considering <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can do that later not right now right well, on um on Milosh, it is true like you compare him to who he was next to and of course he's supposed to look polished and like the better defense in there but he also had a huge role in the heavy lifting department of he was the defense and in the two games he played he didn't play this afternoon so in the two games that he played he had to do a lot in a lot in the defensive zone so it's like if you look at the forwards the the talent of forwards around say like Kamenev is at least better like what Malosh was doing was he he was the reason why they could even move the puck out of the zone a lot of times and then Boykov he um it, it, it looked good that him coming off the injury, he he definitely looked good. So he didn't look rusty. He definitely looked engaged and physical. I did feel like this afternoon, I don't know, did he even play in the third period or didn't play a lot? I I was looking mm-hmm. a lot more at the forwards, so I can't like pinpoint exactly, but I did feel like, I don't know, they just started playing some other guys, so I don't really know what was up with that. But I mean, overall, my take on today... Well. My take on today's game is there were a bunch of guys they wanted to get a look at, at that, you know, may not be around in main, main camp or, you know. Yeah, I think they just started Boykov in this last game because they needed another body, like, honestly. Well, they, I, I think they, you know, I think they started him, like, like the progression was, like, Nick and, and Boykov started off together in the first game, and then they gave Boykov an A in the second game, and he, you know, they put Nick with Josh Anderson and Boykov was sort of anchoring his pair and then Nick didn't play this game and Boykov was sort of the anchor of the whole defense. So it was, it was a good progression for Boykov. I, I, I guess I agree, but I mean, are you, did you really get anything out of the third game from Boykov that you didn't already have after game two? No, no, but it's just, it's, it's what the, the responsibility, like he was the senior defenseman today, even though he didn't play much. And I, I think that's, I, I think they were counting, I, I think they were very hopeful that he would come back and, and look like this. So he definitely looked like an AHLer. Like if yeah. if you're trying to figure out from this whole group, like who who could be an option, you know, for major AHL time. I think Boykov proved that he's an AHLer and he shouldn't really go to the ECHL. Yeah, I don't see how you can't play Boykov in the AHL, especially with I'm sure the next topic coming up. Yeah, and just um, and just overall, like I also feel like it doesn't matter if they win or lose, but I think it's good that they won this last game. I just think 
nobody wants to come back from a trip like that and have lost all three games. I think it was nice that they got the job done. It was tied going into the third period. They won the game and go home with that. So I think to that extent, it does matter in some way, even though like nobody cares who won this tournament or whatever. Before yeah. we move on, I do have to pump Sajin's tires at least a little bit. He was a first name. Brandon Sajin. Thank you. Uh, he scored five goals. He led the whole tournament in goals scored. So, yeah. and he and this is a guy who doesn't have a contract yet and was drafted by the Avs. So he's coming to this tournament. They're saying, "Hey, you have a chance to earn a contract." And in my mind, he absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. I, he did everything you you could have possibly asked from him. And you know, aside from the fifth goal or the five goals, you know, he was also killing penalties and um, taking faceoffs in the defensive zone. You know, he was playing a two hundred foot game. So. And he does something that very few players in the Av system can do, and that's score in front of the net. Yeah. Dirty goals. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Even though I think it was his the fourth goal, the first goal he he scored today. That that was a nice shot. It was a rebound goal, but he definitely he had to place that one. Yeah, I and, I mean I I don't know how you could have had a better tournament. I I've talked a lot about my theory on Sage and I, I feel like he's already been signed and they like the contract exists. They just haven't sent it into the NHL yet, which is why I always make the joke about like just fax it in. But, uh, um, you know, maybe, maybe they're deciding between ELC and AHL deal. Like, I just don't see how he's going back to junior. He didn't even go to his junior camp, which doesn't mean that he can't go back there. It's just kind of an indication of what they were thinking. But, if if they were waffling between AHL and ELC, just give the guy an ELC. Like you, you invested a fifth round draft pick in him. He showed up to the rookie tournament and made an impression. So just do the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, he, I, I said after either the first or second game that, that he and Lewis were really the only guys out there that that didn't really show that they're playing tentative out there and. Um. You know, I just I, I was really impressed how they were kind of going for it, and that sort of gradually, gradually took over with the rest of the team. Um, so I, you know, I, I was impressed with both guys as far as um, sort of leading by example that way. Yeah, I guess Lewis is another one that needs yeah. mention. That a lot of people are excited for him. I was a little worried when I saw in the uh, the camp day because he was with Bowden and O'Connor and they were doing more defensive things. And I was like, oh no, if this is kind of like their idea for Lewis, then this could be a problem. But then they were used in these games as like the second scoring line or one of the two scoring lines. And yeah, and I agree, especially in the first game, he set the tone and he, he kept that level up through the whole weekend. Yeah, it's interesting because especially after the first game, I was like, all right, Lewis is at the top of the Avs prospects and another thing again. It's just par for the course now for him. So I didn't even focus on him that much. Yeah, um, and I and like what you guys said was maybe kind of the rest of the team rose to the level that he was at. So he didn't stand out as much in, say, today's game. But it wasn't that he wasn't doing the same things. He was just more blending in with what he was doing. But he he held his role in in that top six and... 
Hey, he so. got Nolan DeYoung to score a goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that people that can really say nice that. Guy. I mean, but they have to be thinking of him as a top six guy in the AHL. Like if 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 they put him on the fourth line, that's just going to be such a disappointment. But I know we'll have plenty of time to go down that road. But um, just he healed up uh, his end of the expectations. Yeah, and I think with a lot of these guys, like what you were saying about putting him in a defensive role in, in the 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 one practice day they have. Yeah, I, I I think they're pretty comfortable with the fact that he's a skilled offensive player. But if he's going to play regular minutes, they want to make sure that he's going to be able to handle you know the whole ice. So uh, you know, I have no problem with him looking like he's doing defensive things in, in you know in, in drills and whatnot because that's probably their big question. So if you're looking for more info on on some of these like more kind of second tier guys and and how they kind of go through camp i think you'll definitely want to spend the time to check out our other podcast if you guys want to hype that a little bit just kind of put a bow on our on our rookie showcase conversation yeah i think uh we will have another episode of talking out our abs uh, i believe maybe within the next week where we're gonna get into like everybody at the rookie tournament but I think at that point, maybe also throw in a little bit of camp and maybe the first preseason game, which I believe will be a lot of the younger players. Yeah, once uh, they make first cuts, which is usually after the first preseason game, we'll have something to talk about with like some of the young guns that are still around. So 2A, it's a fun podcast if you like listening to us rant and get mad about players <laughs> that probably won't even make the NHL. <laughs> yeah, it's our rant pod. It's therapeutic. If you like hearing that kind of discussion, you know we definitely get into it. So, so the first Check preseason game is Tuesday, and then the second one is on Saturday. So, I think it definitely makes a lot of sense for them to make you know almost no cuts before that first game on Tuesday. Play a bunch of guys you've never heard of in that opener, and then make you know a big sweeping cut and kind of bring their roster down to more who they're actually interested in for the other games. The schedule's just yeah, kind of they usually, that way. Yeah, they usually made a couple of cuts after Burgundy and White, or, you know, you just sort of, people disappeared. They didn't make, you know, on on the actual roster cuts. But, um, you know, it looks like Jared Bednar wants, you know, four straight days of tough practices, and then that first game is probably going to determine... You know, a fair chunk of, of who stays and goes. Well, they still need a, f a decent amount of, like, AHL guys for the kind of the middle portion of the preseason schedule, especially the two road games. They don't like to take a lot of real NHL players on right. those. So, yeah. so they yeah. might cut, like, all, the, like, they'll cut Henry and all of, like, the invites and maybe a couple of the young AHLers, you know, like Anderson, things like that after the first game. But so, some guys should get a second game. Like, I'm hoping Igor will, Malosh. You know, those guys probably should hang around past the first cut. Yeah, then so once Eagles, they get... Eagles camp starts on the 24th, I think. So on the 23rd, when you see yeah. a big cut of <laughs> AHL guys. Yeah. Well, yeah, the 24th they... is the second road game. So there you go. Maybe then they'll cut them all the day after that game or something. Yeah, like yeah, they the might post game just, story like they sometimes just do. have to open camp with the the guys. But they'll be that, up there practice. Like the guys that that get cut will trickle up there. Yeah, um, be easier. I'm I'm sure <clears throat> I'm sure the, the abs have probably encouraged most of the guys that they 
you know, they're not going to say, hey, you don't have a chance. But, you know, it's like most of the guys that are pretty much targeted for that, for, for the Eagles, they were probably encouraged to, you know, find places in, in Loveland and, and sort of make that their home base after you know, a week or so of camp. Sure. So um, since we last met, um, we were completely so certain the Fs wouldn't make any offseason changes unless they made a blockbuster deal. And they made a couple of signings. But before we get to that, I want to kind of set up like our both of our pro, our whole, whole preseason kind of series. We're going to do a second preseason show after the uh, preseason games. Uh, but I kind of want to set, set it all up with a quick question right now. Do the Avs return to the playoffs this season? No. No. I think so. And then uh, I am on team yes on this one, so we are 50-50. So, that's interesting. I expected to, I didn't expect two no's out of y'all. But we can... I mean, it's such a soft no. Like, I'm on team bubble out, so it's so thin. Like, it could be so close. I'm yeah, the I mean, heartless, it... cynical one. So you can mark me down for that. Right, you're the one who hates the abs. <laughs> I think they could sustain a few injuries and still make the playoffs. I, I think, you know, it's just sort of a, a degree of, of attrition. Um, you know, they're not good enough to really overcome a lot of injuries. I mean, I, I think they got lucky last year in that they could overcome a lot of injuries. Um, and that, you know, things like Max injury, you know, wasn't that serious. But, you know, it's the, the fact they did so well with EJ out for a lot of the second half of the season, that's kind of lucky. So, of course, we'll get into explaining, like, more about those answers just kind of as the shows progress and make maybe a real argument on episode dos. Um, but before we go too in-depth on the sort of season predictions, um, Colorado added a new defenseman without trading Tyson Berry. Um, they add Ian Cole, three years, $4.25 million. <clears throat> That one, how do we, like, obviously these signings have been hashed out to death so just real briefly how do y'all feel about uh, adding ian cole to the roster and as a separate I think it's, angle ian cole at that money i think it's something that they had to do i mean honestly if you're joe sackick and you're watching how the playoffs went i mean they easily could have won um the series again I, well, I won't say easily but they could have won that series against nashville if they had a little better defensive depth depth if they weren't playing Duncan Siemens and David Warsawski in their first playoff series in four years. I will say they should so, have I stolen mean, game two. And that was without Sam Gerard. <clears throat> well, right. I'll say this is where you developing B-Graf for three years and got rid of him. You gave Anton Lindholm 60 games in the NHL and you weren't using him. So the whole like, oh my god, we have no defensemen. I mean, you kind of created that yourself. I mean, I, I don't think those guys would have helped. They, they didn't need, you know, Begra or Lindholm. They needed someone like Ian Cole. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people wanted to go down the John Carlson path, and I, I think that would have been excessive and, and sort of not what they need with, with some promising defensemen in the pipeline. So, you know, having a guy like Ian Cole who's going to drive us friggin' insane with the amount of penalties he takes, other than that, is a very serviceable defenseman. Um, See, I don't know how sold I am on that. And, like, I think Cole's fine. I think he's an improvement with a number of the players we've had on our bottom pairing. But I'm a little concerned that playing for one of the best teams in the league for the past handful of years, I don't think he's going to look that good on the Avs. I don't think he has to. I mean, I just... I, 
I think he has to Again, with that you, money. You, we'll put it that way. I get. I mean, if you're in that situation where you're in the playoffs and you're playing David Warsawski, you're looking at it like if we just had Ian Cole, this wouldn't. Be I a- just, I just think you can't use the playoffs as the justification at all. I mean, they had Nick Melosh. Yeah, he he could have been an option. And if it was this year, then that probably would work out fine. I hope, you know. I mean, it's like I, I hope by this April that they could be like, you know what, we've got Nick Melosh, we've got no problem. We don't have to play Duncan Siemens and David Warsawski in our first playoff series in four years. But and and Siemens also shouldn't be your like, oh my god, we're screwed option. You've invested five years of development into him. So, I mean, you're just basically getting back to the point of no internal option is ever good enough. Like, is that just, like, the standard answer for every move? Like, every single internal option is not good enough. Well, just, I, you know, I, I think they really want Malosh and Timmons and Makar to be those internal options, but they, you know, they just flat out weren't ready enough last spring. Uh, I mean, that's always even- the argument. That's the argument every year. Oh, Earl just said the secret word. Where's Connor Timmons? <laughs> Do we want to go there right now? It's We gotta go there. We have to, because people were expecting him to make the roster, which... You know, I think Adrian Tater really thought he was gonna be there, but... <laughs> he, he did expect him to get top four minutes by the end of the year. <laughs> yes, and Connor Timmons is... He's, he's still having he some... Said- as the abs put it, concussion-like symptoms. <laughs> He's hanging out with his good buddies Peter Mueller and Jesse Winchester. So, Oof. which is a great euphemism, but um, you know, I it, it's a tough thing. You know, it's been what 16 weeks since it happened. You know, I know that 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 Adrian Dater was saying it was May or March when it happened, but I think we're all pretty sure it happened in May. Um, well, the, well, the hit we saw was in May. Yeah, so, I, we yeah. watched it happen. So. <laughs> he happened to play, yeah, he happened to play quite a few games between March and May. So, um, you know, it's it's it it stands to reason that was when it happened. But it's not, you know, he he's not back to normal yet, and it's <laughs> it's not it's, something that you can just you know say like well it's going to be like three weeks and he'll be fine you know it's it could be three weeks it could be march it could be next fall i mean we don't know and you know that that's tough especially for someone that that's sort of garnered a lot of interest in in abs fans um as far as taking over you know a significant role on the defense maybe as early as this year which i didn't think was possible but um you know he's he's a good player and he'll be missed and and it's going to be very tough you know when he's missing like training camp and then you know it starts going beyond that that it, it really creates some problems in in how his year is going to go yeah it, it's a shame that he couldn't show you know could he make good on that on that excitement and interest and you could even call hype because you know he does have this setback and it's it was, was going to be interesting to see, could he step in, play pro, and make an impact right away? And and now, it's just kind of the answer is no, because he has to go through this. I've seen some suggestion that it's just a precaution that they held him out at rookie camp. I think that's ridiculous, because yeah. it's not like he's a good enough player to just say, like, oh, I don't need to play in rookie camp. Like, it's an important step for these prospects to go through no, that. And- 
You ready when you look at who was that? there for the Avs, they would have wanted to have seen him playing games. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, you know, I was one of the people that was very indifferent about the them holding him out initially. Like, I was like, all right, you let him get healthy. You know, if he's close and they don't want to risk it, that's fine. But at this point, he's not ready for the rookie tournament. He's not ready for camp. That's You really need to be concerned about it now. Like, it's a problem. Right, like when he was in a development camp, I could buy the, okay, well, it's development camp. He's already been through one. That's where maybe I could buy the precaution argument. But at this point, I mean, he's just he's just not okay. Like, we're not complaining that they're not putting him out there. I mean, obviously, if he's not okay, then he needs to take care of it. It's just we need to accept that it's an issue at this point. And, hey, if he shows up on Friday and he's good to go and he go in main camp it's not that big of a setback but you know missing camp and missing preseason that that probably is going to be significant and i i guess i would say you know we we joke about a lot but then is he seriously going to have to play in utah if especially if he misses let's say all of training camp and preseason are you going to throw him into the (laughs) ahl probably not and you know i mean i think that's somewhat justified if he's, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't really start coming back until November, um, you know, he's going to be two months behind everybody. You, you just, you, you can't toss him in like that. Um, and I still hope it doesn't take that long. I hope it, it really is a matter of weeks or whatever the agent wants everyone to think. But, and I know the Avs fans with concussions, we are so hypersensitive to it that concussions really have made a large negative impact in certain people's careers. and But we also know that you can't overcome it. It just takes time. That's so I still in, have a little bit of optimism. Number 18. That. I mean, that just... Yeah. But it's... I know, taking that 18 it really is getting spooky. So I, I just hope. I hope <laughs> it really is a matter of weeks or that maybe he can show up at some point in camp. But you, you really well, do I mean, have to worry. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot else to say on that other than, you know, we got to just hope he gets better and that it's quick enough that he doesn't have to sprint too hard to catch up to where everybody else's, if nothing else, conditioning is at. Um, yeah. And, and now I have anxiety-like symptoms, so thanks for the good news, everybody. <laughs> but speaking of good news, Yavs also brought in over the summer Matt Calvert. Three years, $2.85 million. This one um, gives me... All flavors of bewilderment. Um, how do you, I, Earl? I I apologize. I really wanted to read your thing this afternoon, but like like I mentioned before, the show work got bananas. I just didn't have time. Um, so maybe you can kind of summarize what what you guys had to say about Matt Calvert and but without giving away everything, go read Earl's thing. I I just you know I I compared him to Blake Como, who you know, I, I don't think he's going to fit exactly into everything that Como did for the Avs last year. Um, but it's sort of, you know, that that's whose place he was really taking. And, you know, it, it's Columbus plays such a different system than the Avs. It's, it's really hard to sort of compare across teams like that, that Columbus is a very high volume team and compared to the Avs. Um, and, and he was good at that. Like his his quality volume rates, like expected goals for and stuff. You know, they would be around McKinnon's range, and he, and he was like eleventh or twelfth on on the Blue Jackets. Um, 
just to give you an idea of as a side note i'm surprised their systems are that different but carry yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> um but the, you know the, the one good thing to take out of that is that I think that's something that, that Jared Bednar would like to gravitate towards is that the, the abs have the, the quality part down and they just need to get the quantity part up. And I think maybe the positive out of getting Matt Calvert on the team is that maybe he can help with sort of bridge the gap there a little bit, but we'll see. Um, but it's kind of odd that, that, that he's brought in as sort of a, a penalty killer, um, sort of middle sixer, and he's really kind of a fourth liner, and he's not a very good penalty killer. And that, that's kind of tough to, to reconcile. So you're, you're kind of wondering, like, is he brought in to score? Um, and, and that's sort of my worry, that, that they sort of look at him as a depth scorer, and that they're going to put him into a penalty kill role that he's not going to be very good at. I guess where I'm I at in a nutshell with Calvert is that... I, I kind of expected they were going to replace Como with someone similar like him. So in a vacuum, it, ma it makes sense. He's the Como replacement. I believe Sackick even said that on his summer rap show on Altitude. But it's just the the whole picture in thinking of, wait, you're signing him for three years, plus you brought back Nieto for two years. They should have done one or the other. And my yeah. real problem with it is, Comfer should be the one that they're going to put in this role like he's not a kid he has 90 nhl games under his belt he's 23 years old he's shown to be a good penalty killer you know maybe they do hope he has a bit more upside than than somebody in that role but nah. but it it's just it, it just doesn't make sense you're you're clogging your roster you're clogging your system with the same type of players that you always bring in like right I think that argument's way more in play here than with Cole because you have guys right now ready to jump to the yeah. NHL. Kamenev, Tony Nato, arguably Greer, already trying to fill that spot. And you bring him in not just for a year as a stopgap, but for three years. What are you doing? The the, the three years thing is, is painful to me. And I, I really see him as Matt Nieto, basically. Like, that's a really... That's a lot better of a comparable than Blake Como to me. Um, and it really I, is. And yeah. I, I think it comes back to this kind of re repeating what Jackie was saying earlier, is that the internal replacement is what? Never good enough. Yeah. And I mean, that's one thing I wrote in the article, is just, you know, the Avs are paying for a decade plus of not being able to, to develop their prospects into depth players. And they have to go out on, on the free agent market and buy them, or they feel the need to go out onto the free agent market and, and buy them um, instead of just taking the chance. Um, but, you know, it's like, I, I see, I see where they're coming from. Like, you know, comfort was decent last year, but they're, you know, there's still some questions about whether he can handle, you know, a whole season of, of killing penalties. Um, and there's always going to be questions though. Yeah. Like there's always the question until they do it. And he's still right. here too, right? Like, you're playing him, you're dressing him. They're going to have to decide on him at the end of this year as well. And I think people just assume he's going to be around forever. And if you're saying he's not good enough, some of these guys, they're going to have to ask this question at the end of this year. And I know we're starting the year, we're not at that point yet, but it's all part of like the same question. 
Well, th- I mean, I, I, I think if you're the Avs, you wanted to see Comfort beat out Como last year, or at least Nieto. And is you know, that even on the did... table? I, I, just, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, they didn't stuff. think he did, and that's sort of the the talent evaluation problem that that's maybe plagued them for a long time. Is they're, you know, they're not able to project like. <clears throat> You know, if you put Comfer ahead of Nieto in the lineup, then this is sort of what's going to be happening, and that's probably what you should do. Yeah, what I'm hearing is Nieto having a career year was like the worst thing ever for our young <laughs> forwards. <laughs> and also, just going back to Cole, it's I don't have a problem with him in particular, and I agree that with him, it's harder to see a direct, I guess, replacement or competitor. But I also want to see how he's used, what role he's in, how good he's in that role. So it's, it is also with him a little bit more difficult to see how he fits in. And with him, there's even a bigger commitment, a bigger monetary commitment. He's also signed for three years. Plus, you don't have just kind of like bottom six guys behind. You have some real talent. And one of my concerns is what they do with Sam Gerrard, but... We'll probably get into that a lot later, but that's something that I think they need to be thinking long term what they want to do with Gerard and not short term what they're doing with things like this. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into Gerard real quickly. Um, it's just it's so frustrating because I mean, like like you just alluded to, Rudo Matt Nieto's not a fourteen percent shooter, and that's what he was last year at five on five. Is he shot fourteen percent? Is is JT Comfer a five percent shooter? I mean, maybe, but you you imagine probably not. And Andrigetto is not. I forget. He's he might have even been worse than Comfer. He was. Um, Wasn't he like two percent at five on five at or five something? On five, yeah, he's three point nine two. But I'm oh, not that's gonna, overall don't... at five on five is four point four nine. But I'm getting a little bit yeah. arcane with our with numbers on a podcast here. Either way, he's better shooter than that. Absolutely right. Um. But, you know, the fact of the matter is they, you know, they, they did shoot that badly and they, you just can't, you know, you can't say as a coach, like, well, you know, he shot, you know, if he had just shot 8%, he would have been better. So let's go with him instead. Um, I mean, you can, but it's just, I can see why they don't. It's, do you think he is better than that? And with a guy like Comfer, who doesn't have just a whole lot of NHL time under his belt, it's kind of hard to know. Right. I don't think it's nearly as hard to know that Matt Nieto is not going to do what he did again. <laughs> Yeah, well, that goes without yeah. saying. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's tough to see so many plugs signed for this year, and and there's still know, Bork too, and and he does fill a role, but he's still yet another body. Right. It's it's the thing we always talk about of the abs having their cake and eating it too. Of it, you know, we'll bring in the replacement players, but then we'll just bring everybody back also. And, you know, throw throw Colin Wilson in with the plugs there, too. I mean, just, you know, you've got a whole <laughs> slew of guys that aren't very good at, at most things. Earl Colin Wilson and shot, it's... drink. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I, I, I understand if you're the coach that you want to use those guys as a bar and saying, look, you know, take this guy's job. And I um, feel like that's a fault. I believe it's it's like an illusion. I just, I don't... If it was I mean, a I, true think, I think Willie's job got taken last year. 
I he really was did. still there, though. I mean, he was there, but I mean, I think they thought he was going to be a second liner. I really do. I hope so. Then they were mistaken, then. But I know they were very mistaken. I called them out on it from about five minutes after the trade happened until right now. So, but I, you know, I, I don't think Bednar really likes Wilson in the lineup and would rather not have him there. And so, I guess you see the same issues, though. You're sitting here going. Do they really see Calvert as a third liner that's going to penalty kill? Do they really see Cole as like a third best defenseman on the team? And it seems like they're overestimating just how good the guys they're bringing in are. It's, they're, I mean, they're I, creating I, competition, I, which we, we want them to create competition, but you want your competition to be for like, you know, second wing, not fourth center. Right. And is it really a competition when some guy's making four million dollars? You traded for the guy. Is it really on the table that that it that it's a fair race that each per player starting from the same starting point? And I just don't believe that. And maybe maybe they decided Wilson's the Colburn and they're going to get rid of him. You know, we don't know that. But there are if if it's truly on the table that he can be beat out is one thing. But all these players. Everyone says, oh my god, if you can't beat out this plug, then you don't deserve to be in the NHL. It's not a fair fight. It's it, it's never presented that way. They didn't sign Bork to a one-way deal just for him to, like, oh, he could get beat out. It's just, it's an illusion. I'm not going to say it's a fair fight, but I think there's more opportunity there, certainly, than there ever was under the Wah era. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, Carl Soderberg got... You know, he didn't play opening night last year. It's like one game. Well, I mean, that was a message. Like, look, you know, we've got guys that can take your job. If you're not into it, then let us know. But, you know, I, I do think there's opportunities, and I think there will always be opportunities due to injuries because that's just the way it happens. And The know, problem I, is the bar feels so high. Like, if they played even keel with the veteran that they were trying to take the spot of, they still give the nod to the veteran. Yeah, that's not enough. Like, somebody just has to be mind-blowing to stay. It's like they're waiting for some sort of epiphany or something. I, I don't even know what they're expecting for this to happen, but it happens every single year. We sit here in, in the summer and the fall, and we say... Oh, there's all these options, you know, all these things can happen. Then we get into the middle of the season, it's like, no, we we have to make the playoffs. You can't sacrifice. You can't you can't have some guy that has no NHL experience play this role. Well, there's a reason why he has no NHL experience because you haven't given it to him. But it, and then it's like, oh, you can't sell at the deadline because you can't get rid of NHL players at the deadline. Blah blah blah. It's the same cycle. Well, I just I I hope I I really hope that. You know, Wilson getting beat out is on the table. I, I think he's probably the most vulnerable guy on the roster. I think they're fine with not playing Bork if the roster is healthy. I think, you know, I think they would play Kamenev instead of him. I believe that's possible. I I don't think that Wilson's on the table unless they've just decided they're done with him, which I don't think so. I, I mean, if he looks like I, he did last year, I don't think they're going to play him. I mean, you know, it's... I mean, if there's a better option, if Kamenev, you know, looks better, I think he can take that spot. I mean, I just, I don't think that, that Bednar likes Willie that much, and I don't think that Willie brings enough to the game. Well, who are they going to play? Hopefully, 
anyone but Wilson and Nieto. <laughs> I mean, as, as you're looking at building lines for these te- for for this team, I mean, the first line is is easy. That we have, we're a little bit lucky there. We don't even have questions on the first line. It's like, well, obviously, it, it's gonna be Gabe, Mac, and Miko. Like that's set. I know. And anytime you get pissed about what the lines look like, you just look at the top line. You're like, <laughs> this is great. <clears throat> it's, yeah, behind it's that, near it's... impossible to tell. Like, are the... I've come to accept that it's going to be Nieto Soderberg Calvert opening nights, but I really hope that doesn't last long. I mean, also I, I... hold out hope that it's Soderberg Calvert and then someone like Jost or Kerfoot or se- someone on the on the left side that's has a bit more offensive ability where it can be like a second line because Soderbergh really is kind of like, like the linchpin to this roster and the lineup is yeah it's how they choose to use Carl Soderbergh really keys all three of the bottom nine lines um you know it, it's like yeah, if, it, if it is just the Nieto Calvert Soderbergh and then they get played like a second line then, then there's never going to be any growth, any second line that emerges. You, then you're asking all those guys to play together and then to do something in in the 13 or 14 minutes they're going to be given. And that that's asking that, a lot. I don't, I, I, there's not a huge difference between how much all those lines play at, at 5v5. Well, they're, they're going to play... Well, the, four, the fourth line's the fourth line. The... the between the, the three lines, I could see that it, it does go back and forth. But if you're using Soderbergh's line as the defensive line, they're going to get heavy usage more often than not. The, the difference between Blake Como on the second line and the fourth line is about a minute and a half per game at, at, at 5v5. So, you know, that's like three shifts. The tough thing is, like, if that is your second line... That means that all of these guys that we're expecting growth out of this year didn't grow enough to take that second line spot. And if that's the case, then I got bad news for our playoff hopes. Yeah, I mean, I, I... or just the hope for any of those players in the future. That to me, that's more important than you know if they make the playoffs this year or not. It's can any of these players become? established second line NHL players any of them is is really the goal here I just I you know I, I think that <clears throat> I, I think that if you use Carl in, in the Nieto Carl Calvert line um, that you're not spreading things around enough and that that just that you know we saw the problems that created you know for just tons and tons of games last year Um. You know, I, I realize what a safety blanket that must have been for the coaching staff, but, you know, it's like if you put Tyson Jost on the left wing and then have Carl and, like, Calvert, you know, that means that you're you're spreading out the plug veterans mixed in with sort of the talented rookies. And I, I just, it looks a lot more like you have four lines rather than two lines and a bunch of guys. And you do want some of those younger guys learning those two-way roles, being put in more defensive situations. They need to grow that way as well. 
It's just you know, I love I love the idea of Matt Nieto playing with some of the younger guys because he's I mean he's he's not that old actually, but um, he's, you know, he's experienced. He is from Long Beach, and that's important. But um, you know, it's like if you put him with some younger guys. You know, I, I'm not saying he's going to shoot 14% again, but, you know, he can finish once in a while. I mean, it. I, I just I think that gives you a lot more options and it, it could make the coaching staff feel a lot safer putting some of those bottom six guys, you know, in, in some, some tougher situations and gain some experience like that. If you, I mean, you could make a real line with like Nieto, Toninato, and Comfer, something like that. It it boils right. down to the coaching staff has to take the leap, though. Like, they have yeah. to be willing to put these young kids into tough positions. And yeah, it could cost you a playoff spot. It could also propel you to the playoffs. You won't know until you try it. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I think that you can... <clears throat> I, I think the Avs, you know, the, the sum of the parts was not as much as what they had. Um... I think they they actually they they could have been probably around a hundred point team last year if they had just sort of mixed up the lines. And I'm not saying like in the last twenty games, but you know, it's sort of in January and in February. Um, because by the end of the season, you just you would you had not played the bottom six guys so much that you know you can't just accelerate and catch up with everybody. You know, you need to be sort of in that mode. You know, basically from Thanksgiving on. So we, we've talked a lot about forward lines, but there's, there's six other spots on the roster too. Sometimes seven, but normally six. Um, how how high up in the, in the hierarchy do you think Ian Cole's going to fit in terms of time on ice? And uh, like you were alluding to, Jackie, so maybe you want to jump on this one. Like, what's the implication there for the development of particularly Sam Girard? Uh, I feel like um, Cole's going to play with Barry. I feel like they've been searching for a partner for Barry for many, many years, and this is their newest idea. And it could work out. But Barry's a tough one to match with, and I don't think Cole's exactly the style that's kind of that Barry seems to work better with. Barry actually seems to work better with somebody that's a that's mobile, a bit more of a puck mover himself, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't think he was brought in to play with EJ. I don't think he was brought in to play on the third line either, or on the third pair. So he was I feel in like to put Patrick Nemeth on the third pair. Well, he was anyway because that's where him and Sam are. So um, uh, I feel like not always. Zadorov and Gerard are going to split EJ. I think people still don't realize how much Gerard played with EJ last year. And it was not just the beginning of the year when he first came over and he played a lot with EJ. It was, they really did split that pairing a lot. And then, but I think Gerard will be with Nemeth probably, you know, on paper or as a starting lineup because we know they mix the pairs up anyway. As far as how much time, I hope Cole's more like four, comes in maybe more four, five. I'm worried that he's going to be more like three, four as far as ice time. If they still get Gerard more minutes here and there, I could see it work, especially if he plays some with EJ. But I, I also worry that 
him and Nemeth are going to settle more into a third pair, which I think does not benefit the team or Gerard long term. I think I think they're a better team with him playing more, and I think they need to consciously work towards that this season. And not nope. just overplay their shiny new defenseman. I really do think the left side especially is way more fluid for the Avs. Yeah. Uh, if you know if Z has a bad game, Bednar's not afraid to limit his minutes significantly. When Gerard's playing well, he can bump his minutes up and when EJ's doing his thing where he plays 30 minutes a night, he just plays with everybody. So it it's pretty easy to float minutes around where they're needed, I think, on the left side. And I think Gerard should be fine, especially if he solidifies himself as the second power play unit quarterback. He should. I mean, if 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 they're not playing him as that, like what what <laughs> the issue what are they doing? The issue is for me when I, when EJ gets hurt or Z gets hurt or whenever somebody gets hurt and it's time to switch up things in the top four, how do they balance moving a Gerard up and having to not play him with Barry? Like that's still a problem. It was a problem last year. It's going to be a problem again. I think really what needs to happen is he needs to start transitioning into Barry's role a little bit. I think they need to get him out on the first power play unit more. We I mean, can, I agree. You know, ultimately, we can argue how how accomplish that. Either put him out there with Barry, or at times put him instead of Barry. I think we all know that Sam is targeted for that role. That role as soon as Barry's contract is up, or he's not on this team. But what do you do until then? And you think you got to start working towards that? I mean, you can't just. Then how you, can you though? Like, how you, can you without hurting Barry's value? You I mean, Barry's, not even Barry's, Barry's value. value. I mean, it's like, I mean, the, the the top power play unit. I know it looks awful when we watch it, but it's very effective, and and Barry's a big part of that. So I, it's just, Sam would make it worse. To be honest, I think you actually almost do the opposite. We already know Sam is more capable than Barry in the defensive zone. What if we shelter Barry more? We let Sam play more five-on-five, five, get Barry all of the offensive opportunities, understand what we're doing, and see that Sam's numbers might not be the best because of it, but we know that he can transition out into Barry's role and still be solid defensively later. And that's basically what they did at the end of the year. As soon as EJ got injured, basically they gave Sam and Nemeth the, you know, the tougher matchups, the defensive zone starts, um, and, and they sheltered... Z and Barry a lot. Um, and I think they like that. What I want to see is they think of Eric Johnson as sort of the, you know, one of the puck movers and they like to have a puck mover with a more defensive guy. So it's usually like EJ, Barry, Sam on one side as the puck movers and then Z, Nemeth, and now Cole as the defensive guys. Um, what I would rather see is I, I, I would rather see Sam with EJ full time and have Sam be, you know, the complimentary puck mover to EJ's defensive guy role. I like I like Z and Barry. I think if you shelter them, I think they sort of I think they play well together. And I think I, I think Z does a lot better in a, in a high event game. He needs to. He needs the minute. That's the other thing. Is Z needs the minutes, and I feel like Sam's that 
way too. I think he's way more effective when he plays more, just like Z. If you have Z in a third pairing kind of role, that's when he's just terrible. He feels like yeah. he needs to do too much in his limited amount of time to have that impact and just kind of does yeah. stuff. Like, he thinks too much. When he's playing more, he's just doing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely much more engaged when he plays a lot. And that's why I think that he and Barry, it's, you know, but barring then something have, what, weird Cole in and training Nemeth? camp. That would I be, think that's uh, ideal, no, I, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think I think Nemeth is, you know, I think Nemeth might be iffy in preseason just because right. of his shoulder. In reality, yeah. is that barbs. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if you had Cole and Barbario as your third pairing, because... Because Barbario is considered a puck mover, and he's also very capable in the defensive <laughs> zone. With I think very with the... good reason Barbario is considered a puck mover because he gets yeah. it and he moves it. Sometimes it's he awesome. He can move it. Sometimes it's I not still awesome. near feel anywhere. Like <laughs> if all I don't know where it's going to move, but it's going to be moving. Uh, I, love I feel like if Barbario. all options are available, though, they would dress Nemeth instead of Barbario. I agree. I just, you know, I, I maybe. Um, you know, I, I just, I think if, if they're open to having, you know, a, an EJ Sam pair, a Z Barry pair, I, I think it just makes a lot more sense to have Barbario with Cole. And if Nemeth is the guy that has to sit, then oh, well. you know, that, that, that's just the way it is. I just and don't think they I, paid I think that Cole is that. Your best six defenseman that you can put out. I don't think they paid Cole that money to not have him in the top four. And no, I know that they I, I don't mean, have I, pairs, but I, I think on a any I think any given night you're you're I mean you're not going to say that because like Bar- Barbario can play I mean he's been like top two in minutes plenty of times, um, so I, I just I, I don't see a problem with having that I, I wouldn't call it your third pair as in like most of you know like a a Chicago Blackhawks third pair that plays four minutes, um. You know, it's just it, depending on the game situation, it's going to be very fluid. It it does feel a lot more like you have EJ as a clear number one, but then you kind of have like a two A and two B, and whoever is feeling it that night gets cranked up to play with EJ more. Or the- right, not necessarily even just that, but also what does the game situation call for? Do you need goals? Do you need yeah to stop goals? I wrote this when I, in the article I wrote about Sam this week, but. Um, the first two games he spent with Barry when he first got traded, and you know it was it was it was nuts. It was fun, but it just you, you can't have that, um, you know, throughout a whole game. But they played together probably two or three shifts every night, um, and, and it was always interesting. Like you'd see them together, you know, like like Bednar would get a good matchup, or maybe. You know, he sort of felt the other team weakening and, and sort of put those two guys out together to press. And I think that's a good situation that, that you can see that, you know, pairing work um, once in a while. And I, that's the same way I look at, like, maybe putting, you know, Z and, and EJ together, you know, later in a game when you have a lead. And, you know, you, you do certain things like limit Barry's minutes late in games when you have the lead and yada, yada, yada. You know, they're, they're a very situational coaching staff i think they also need to dial ej back i agree they we know he can play those kind of minutes it doesn't mean he needs to do it i i think with his age now and he's not ancient but he's past the magic 30 i mean just for the sake of how often he gets injured anyway like yeah it's such a better team when he's healthy 
like they think we have him, we're going to ride him. And it's like, maybe be a little bit more mindful of overusing him. And I'm sure he wants to play a ton too, but he does. it's just like, can, can you try? There's no need to overuse him. If we finally have six, seven real NHL defensemen, let's not have this compulsion to overuse him. And, and I think when, when he came back after his injury and they were trying to mix him in and they were trying, they, but he basically played with everybody. The defense didn't play as well. It was like, it, they're not a better team without EJ, but the defense made so much more sense. It was more settled. It was more, and sure, they did some situational stuff, but it, it worked better. Then you throw him back in, and it's just like, he needs to be out there constantly with every single other defenseman. It's just that they could cut back on some of that, and, it, and I think it would benefit them in the long run. And then maybe, hopefully... It will spare him his yearly injury. Yeah, let, let jokes be jokes. He doesn't need milk. He needs rest. Exactly. So um, be, you know what would be really nice is is cutting back on his penalty kill minutes because that would be nice. I, I don't. You know, he only plays nineteen minutes a game, five v five. So it's yeah, like when or you're the seeing power play, he doesn't need to be out on the power play at all. No, he doesn't you need got, to be on the power play. You got ever. Barry and Gerard. You really don't need EJ yeah. unless it's a four minute. Exactly. And so, you know, very yeah, little agree. power play. But I, you know, I think you kind of have to play him once in a while because he likes it, and he, you know, he's just the big guy. You know, you let him play there every once in a while, but not a lot. I think but, uh, you know, it, it would be nice if if Cole could kind of steal some of those uh, penalty kill minutes because he led the, you know, he was the the leader in penalty kill time on ice per game. He was higher even than Nemeth. So it's like that. That's where you really need to make your first cut. I think this next transition might be nice. Nice? Yeah, I can only talk about how terrible our defense is for so long these days. Okay. <laughs> well, then, then, now that you've forced our hand, let me ask my final <laughs> question, which is, what happened to Anton Lindholm? Did, did he, like... Did, did he move to South Africa? Did he switch to a different sport? Where'd he go? Oh, he was in a school with Miko like a week ago. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> Wasn't he was that old? Practices. He's at practice right now. So he exists as much as we thought he might not. Like, does he have a role on this roster? No. Like that's your like yeah. very clear and obvious at best 8D, right? I was going to say, I mean, it's like if they're going to keep an 8th D, then yeah. You know, it's like if Nemeth isn't ready, then maybe you keep him. But it's just, well, with, I, I can't see anyone above him he's ever going to beat out that you're willingly going to play him, you know, dress him for a game over. And, and if by you mid season, want an eighth D for yeah. minutes, you don't want Lindholm, you want Malosh, you want right. You... Right. I think, yeah, he needs a, a Nemeth injury to start the season. Also, it's going to be tough for them to keep eight with the Eagles just being up the road. There's no real no reason for them to carry that many players. Right. Well, so, cool. I mean, if he's not, if he's if he's sort of made it clear that the AHL is not an option, then you know he's gone. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Then he's getting exactly. loaned to Sweden. Um, big training camp finally starts on Thursday, which is the 13th. This one might be a little different from past camps um, with the NHL roster for the most part kind of set. Um, so talk to me about what could be different in this camp. 
Um, apart from the obvious, they have four days of camp and no burgundy white. And I think you guys have already talked about that on the other, on other shows, and we're a little bit time crunched here, so let's dodge that one. Uh, is there really going to be anything different? I mean, they might work them harder in practices and stuff, and maybe there's like more emphasis on the first preseason game or whatever, but ultimately it's the same. I want, I do wonder if one of those days will actually kind of scrimmage. I know there's the, the Avs never really ever scrimmage in training camp. A lot of other teams do. And I know that when you're talking about guys like Nathan McKinnon scrimmaging, it's just very pointless. But they do have a lot of players to evaluate. Game situation is nice. And the, all the young guys won't be in every preseason game. Because it's going to go quick. The preseason is. So I do wonder if they're going to sneak a scrimmage in there. But they might not. Because I also could see Bednar just loving having four days of four days in a row of practice. So, um, that is kind of a change. They have not had even a three-day training camp in a long time. And then now this is a four-day training camp, which, you know, Bednar even kind of considers the, the, the week after even kind of like training camp as well. But, um, I guess my question would be, with Oliver gone now, are they going to expect the, like, superhuman stamina out of them and just skate them to death like all four days or are, is it going to be a little bit more skills oriented i think i think at least for a couple they probably will have some skating testing but it is a it is a question what are they going to do days they actually consider it camp because four days of straight practice is a lot just in general so i don't know we'll see i I don't expect, yeah, a ton of of anything different. It it does seem kind of like we know the storylines, we know the players. There's not that many new faces. There's really not that many competitions. It's just kind of how they want to arrange the lines. You know, Kamenev's really the one that we see is the big one. Is is he going to get an NHL job or not? You wonder about like Tony Otto and Greer. Outside of that, that that's kind of it seems like they know what their team's going to be. Yeah, the, the cuts aren't very interesting this season. I think, I mean, I, I think they kind of are. I just... The I think order Toninato, is. I, I think Toninato's spot is sort of the one that's up for grabs, but I think it's his to lose. Um, you know, like, I, I don't, you know, I don't think they're going to cut Bork, so, and I'm not calling Toninato the 13th forward, exactly. But his um, to lose would be to lose it to Kamenev, and don't we all kind of assume that Kamenev's gonna make the roster? And I will say, I wouldn't be, I won't be shocked if he starts with the Eagles. And I know a lot of people, if that happens, would be like, all right, he's done. I wouldn't be shocked if he starts there, but he'd have to come up pretty quick because I guess sure. uh, Tone and Otto fills more of like. It's easy to slot him. You know exactly what Tone and Otto is, and I think they like him. They do. Kamenev's more in like the mix of the other younger guys. Like, what is he really? Where do we fit him in? But I also feel like they've wanted Kamenev to be on the team ever since they traded for him. And if he has any sort of good camp, they'll they'll keep him and they'll figure it out. So I do see it kind of between the two of them, but I would still give Kamenev the leg up at this point. I even see Greer in that too, just because 
you know, I, I think those are the three guys that are probably the, the closest to the roster. But for Greer to beat both Toninato and Kamenev, I think would take have to take quite a performance at this point. I, I mean, yeah, obviously, I, I think for you know any of the you know for whoever makes the roster, it's going to take a good performance. You know, I, I don't think just because Toninato is, is who I you know say it's it's his spot to lose. I I, I don't think it's going to be easy for him to keep it. But <clears throat> so do you think he's He's penciled in and not Kamenev, or do you think it's? I do. No, I, I think it's I think it's Toninato's spot to lose. I. I mean, he he played, you know, he, he his final call up was in mid January, and he went down for one game after that for one weekend. That was it. But you know, he's basically I, I on the like roster from January it. on. And I know we went through this in the other podcast. I wish they could keep both. Like, could we get rid of Wilson? Does this not have to be a choice between both? Because they're completely different players. Like, yeah. why Why are we holding on to Wilson? Just And then one of them goes back to the AHL where they don't belong. Like, why Why can't they keep both and then work with or both What if all them? three guys are, are looking much better than, say, Wilson and, and, I don't know, Nieto? You know, I mean, it's, you know, there's an infinite number of possibilities, but... Um, you know, I, I just, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kamenev starts with the Eagles. Um, I just think that, you know, I, I think it's going to be very, that, that's, that's going to be a highly contested spot. Um, but then it's like, what do you expect him to do? Like, he's not getting anything out of playing in the AHL, certainly not on our AHL team. So you're basically just putting him there to put him somewhere. So... One side factor there would be the adjustment for Igor, because yeah. they are very close. Exactly. And that could help Igor a lot, especially if it's just for a handful of games at the start of the season. Again, ultimately, I really struggle to see how they don't at least give Kamenev a significant NHL shot ahead of Tony Notto. But maybe, especially at the start of the season, if they're not sure how they want to work their roster... Tony Nato being the 13th forward doesn't feel like you're wasting him as much as making Kamenev fit in that role. Exactly. Um, you know, it, I, I mean, I, I really think that those three guys, that, that, that Kamenev, Greer, and, and Tony Nato, I mean, they, they're all very different. They can all bring different things. And, you know, it, it, I, I think they're all sort of playing not only for that spot, for just, you know, but also for... And what what kind of call up the abs need? Um, because it's like he, you're going to call Toninato up, you know, if he does go down. If you're missing, you know, sort of a PK defensive center role, um, you know, maybe if if one of the the more offensively oriented players goes down, you know, like a, a Kerfoot or a Jost or something like that, then you're like, all right, Kamino, that's the guy we want. But they um, usually just move move up the depth guys like let's say miko goes down everyone goes up I mean, they didn't with rocco so, i mean i mean that's rocco <laughs> i'm just saying i mean you know it's like they they called rocco up and didn't just you know move everybody he's up incapable of doing anything else but right but, like Cal, like i'm no. saying calvert is more likely to play like a second line if someone big goes down rather than like 
I think he's going to be on the second line anyway. But... They better. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But between That's Soderbergh and Jost and Kerfa and Andrew Ghetto, if you got covered on your second line by choice, I'm frustrated. <laughs> I know, it's terrible, but, you know, I, I'm willing to give it a sh- I, I know I'm on record as hating that signing and, and not liking his game at all, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm, I'm willing to say, like, if you put... Young guy X with Carl and Calvert, and see how that works. And you're willing to, you know, ditch it after five, ten games if it's not working out. Then that's fine because you know maybe Matt Calvert does score twenty goals this year if he's put in the right situation. You know, that's something you want to know if you invest as much money in in, in the three years into his contract. So, so you may as well find that out. But what about? Counts nine games. How does that play into not only camp but a potential call up down the line? I don't I mean, think he gets him at the I, start of the season. I don't, I don't either. Think I he think he should for sure. Yeah. I don't think he should, and I don't think it'd be smart anyway. I think, I mean, if you're really looking at Martin Cowd as is sort of a, a, a you know a big player in the 1920 roster, you'd much rather do that in the spring. Um, yeah, it was a waste when they they burned. The games of Miko and right. Well, they played uh, him in the wrong position. Like, it was a waste for fourteen different reasons. Yeah, I was gonna say that was just fifty kinds of dumb. But you know, I I think that you know I, I don't think Cout is ready right now. And maybe um, in a, a little way, that's a little blessing in disguise that they're not gonna like try to pretend that it's gonna happen and then it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's like Timmy being hurt and him having sort of a, you know, a meh rookie showcase is sort of, you know, it's tampering some expectations that are nice because then you're just sort of like, all right, these guys can just play and go through camp and go for it. And, and they don't have Chambers and Dater or hanging over them like, so oh, you're going to make the team or what? Looking pretty good. Champ. Well, Dater thought Cal looked pretty good in the camp day, so. <laughs> hey, you going to make the team or what? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, I hope I, I think so. Cal is going to benefit a lot. And, you know, it's like he might become so good by January. You're like, you know what? We need this guy full time on the abs. And, and, you know, they play him the last 40 games of the season. And, you know, I think that they could should work do that anyway. I, th- I think just keeping him under an accrued season so he doesn't become a free agent earlier right. is important. But, like, the ELC, I think the abs would be better off if Miko. CLC was up, but yeah, I guess we'll see. But um, I, I think I think if you think of him as a 1920 player, like you said, but he's going to need to be get ready for that and get the experience. Like what I hate is like is is then at this time of year the argument is well this guy doesn't have actual experience. He's not. You really can't pencil him in. You really can't bank on this guy being able to do X, Y, Z. Well, it's because he hasn't, you haven't prepared him for that. Like playing in the NHL and getting experience there is part of development. So I hope they smartly use his nine games. If they want to keep it to that, you know, I get it. I would prefer a little bit more in the spring, especially if he shows he can do it. But I hope they at least consider like, putting all the nine together, calling him up and having him actually do something so that he can build on that over the summer and you can say, hey, this guy can play an NHL role next season. Yeah, plus, I mean, the, the NHL in October is just like a joke compared to what it is in March. 
You know, it's like if you play Cal in a few games in March, you know, that's like what that's what he really needs to be able to deal with to be, you know, a full time NHL player over a whole season. Treat him so like, like that, an NCAA prospect. Right. And it's like, you know, you'll get a better idea of how he is relative to the NHL if you play him in March rather than October. It's going to be the playoff run. God forbid. Yeah, but I mean, he's going to have like 80 points by then in the NHL. So. <laughs> no, don't put that out there. Like, <laughs> this is going to be my PSA again. 30 points in the AHL is good. More than that is better, of course. But if you're expecting any of these dudes like Igor or Kaut or any of them to score like 50, 60 points, you're going to be disappointed. So let's run far away from outlandish expectations real quickly then and and create some different outlandish expectations. (laughs) My favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um... We, every week during the regular season, take a couple of minutes to to spend on our stars and scratches for the week, and I would like to make some star and scratch predictions. So, let's start with um, two players who you you expect to do well, and I want to strike the top line from the record um, for this exercise. Like, who are some good players you expect to do well? Me too, you know kind of standard kind of guys you're expecting good things from, and then one rising star. So who's, who's one player that you think may break out a little bit this season? So we're talking this season as a whole, not like camp preseason. Yes. I think first off for me would be Sven Andragetto. Yeah, um, me too. I, I, I think it's, you know, I think his time has come. I think he just had a brutal, brutal luck season last year. Um, you know, it's with the injury happening at probably just about the worst time and and cutting out sort of uh, that time from January to mid March when everybody sort of accelerates their game and he just came back and you know it just it takes so long to get back when you get back with your team at that time Um, and the shooting luck was just you know it was pathetic all year Um, you know I really think he can break out I I think you know we laugh at the world championships a lot but I, I think what what he went through was with Switzerland, you know, they never go that far in that tournament. And they made it to the finals with it, with it, a goal of winning the entire world championships. And it really seemed like that was, you know, an emotional release for him uh, with, with all the bad luck that he had over the years. So I'm looking for him to have a, a sort of a, I don't want to call it a comeback, but just sort of get back to where he should be. That's about as consensus a pick for that one as we're going to get, I think. So let's yeah. let's move on. Bozier's um, on I, TV now, and he's guts. I, That's uh-huh. what. <laughs> um, you think I'm going to pick Sam? Well, I mean that's like given, but I I'll kind of split mine between one is Grubauer. I mean, that's kind of like low hanging fruit. We all kind of expect good things from him. He needs to show good things. Um, I'd also say Kerfoot. I think a lot of people are expecting him to kind of regress, take a step back, blah, blah, blah. I Did think... you see those guns in his picture today? <laughs> Bulked up. His interview was fun. It was like, have you just spent all summer playing golf and working out? He's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think it was cool because we didn't know this. Is you know, he said like, "Oh, the last couple of summers, I had shoulder surgery each time." Really? And that's you know, yeah. And, and you know, we didn't really know that because you know, he kind of signed, and then ultimately, you know, he was just boom, he was there. We didn't really know anything about him. Um, so maybe he's coming into this camp about as healthy as he's been in, in several years. So I mean, you know, that that's that's kind of fun to contemplate. And and you know, we'll see about the shooting percentage. I I think we all figure. He's going to be one of those guys at the higher career percentage. We probably won't be over 20 again, but you also have to look at, he had the lowest even strength time on ice. It was like 13 minutes. I don't I think it was the lowest of everybody, but it was the lowest certainly of all the the rookies. I And I think people are expecting him to take a step back, rest, whatever you want to call it. Maybe he wasn't ever that good. I'm I gonna think he's going to score 50 points. I'm going to say he's going to be at least 40. I, I think I think he's going to surprise. I think he might actually still be the better forward of of that kind of young guy group. So that's my prediction. I was actually leaning towards Zadorov here. Nice. I think he put enough pieces together that he can reach that mythical 30-point number for defensemen. His defense... You know, he's still going to have his occasional brain farts and whatnot, but he's solid enough, and he is known around now. People don't want to come up the boards against Zadorov, so he's going to start shutting teams down. I really I think he wants to get that uh, more than a David Jones money, too, at the end of the year. But. <laughs> well, here I, I have a side question for that. What is it going to take for him to get national respect? And I will say, it doesn't matter. National respect doesn't mean anything. And the Avs will never get a great deal of it. But just to ask the question, what would it take for Zadorov to get any sort of credit? He would have to play 28 minutes a night. Because yeah, if you look, if you looked at his, it, and I'm talking basic stuff. I don't go as deep as Earl does with all the expected and all this and that. But his numbers were the same as Barry. Like we're not even talking about where you just look at his numbers and it's like, oh, that's like Nemeth. You know, he had like 40 per- 47% Corsi 4 is the same as Barry. If Tanya Harding runs out on the ice opening night <laughs> and takes out EJ, forcing them to play Zadorov for 20 plus minutes every game, then maybe. I mean, does he, is he going to have to have like mind-blowing metrics? He's like leading the team. He's over 50%. Like nobody's ever going to watch him play. So what is it going to take? I, I think it, it really, it, it comes down to... You know, he's just, he's so young that they're not used to him being good because he's known as that guy that was thrown into the Ryan O'Reilly trade that was so bad for the Avalanche. Well, and being Russian and having Buffalo ruin his reputation. Right. Doesn't help um, either. But it's just, you know, I think he just needs to, to show himself as more than just sort of your solid defensive defenseman. You know, he, he needs, uh, you know, I, I think Rudo is right. I, I think he has a, a good shot to really increase his scoring totals. And, you know, if he does play with Barry, that sort of works both for and against him. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work. Like, <clears throat> you know, you play with Barry, maybe you get more assists, but, you know, you're not taking as many shots. So I don't know. You know, that's kind of tough. But, um, you know, I, just, I, I think he needs to show nationally that, that he's a more complete defenseman. 
and and that that's going to go for both ends of the ice. I mean, he he does have some problems in the defensive zone during sort of like static situations and, and, and penalty kills. So I, I think he needs to clean that up, which I think he can do, um, and and just show a little bit more offense. And, and I I think you know. When people look at it, I think it's sort of like when when they were saying like, "Wow, I had no idea EJ was that tall." I mean, you know, <laughs> just look at Zadora and be like, "I had no idea that guy was six foot five and can skate like that and score and defend." I mean, it is worth noting like Zadorov was one of the leaders in the like player training practices that they've been having too, alongside EJ. So yeah. I think he certainly seems to be getting that respect at least within the team. Definitely. So then let's look at the opposite of, of things, unfortunately. If there's if someone's going to rise, that means someone else is going to fall. Um, I, I count myself among the Kerfoot skeptics that you were referring to, Jackie. I don't think bulking up helps his game any at all. I think that what helps him get more points is getting more opportunities, and it's just so hard to put him in a defensive situation that I don't think he'll ever get those opportunities. So... Um, I, I, re- I like the guy. I like his game. I really want to be wrong on this one, but I don't. My expectations on, on Alex Kerfoot are pretty tempered for this season. Um, yeah, I would agree with that only because in a perfect world, you're having other players stepping up, taking opportunities away from him. And we don't. I just, and we need I, to I argue see that back as, and as, forth. I mean, I, I that's not a rebuttal to anything you guys just said. That's just like it's a valid opinion as much as any other one yeah. is. We're just spinning in the wind about the future here, right? Like, yeah. No, I mean, he, he's a very tough guy to predict, and it's you know, it, it could definitely go either way. I'm I'm op- optimistic about him, but I, I just see being pessimistic about him too. I just believe in his ability. I think. I think he brings something a little different. And like I said, I mean, if you look at the, the amount of minutes he had last season and what he was able to produce, I think I, I don't see that big of a step back, but I think it's possible anybody on the team could take it to step back. It's it's tough to say. I, I really feel like he'll probably be an injury or two that'll be really disappointing, and I definitely don't want to predict that. Um as far as just someone taking a step back, you know, I, I've never been a real huge comfort believer. I think keeping both Nieto and Calvert doesn't help him, but you know, that as far as an actual step back. I mean, there's one super easy one that I've mentioned like six times. Mention them. Nieto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> There's just every single stat in the book points to there's no way he comes even close to repeating what he did this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, those are easy. I mean, I, I could say, like, Wilson's going to suck. <laughs> we'll come back no, to that's, conversations that's like this next time. Um, once we have a little <laughs> bit more of the preseason under our belt. Um, and, and we'll especially return to one name that no one said for either of these categories, which is interesting, which is Tyson Jost. I was um, just about to say that no one has mentioned. Joe. Yeah, he was he was on my <laughs> rising star list, but we're at a lot. Or, of I was. Into I this thought podcast. you were actually going to yes, say Varley. We are. I thought you were actually going to say Varley. That surprising that nobody, because like it seems like half the world just expects him to just like just crumble one day. Yeah, I think we expect him to be okay at this point. We pretty much know who he is. 
So I'm going to ask in a second before we run out of here who will be one guy added to the roster who wasn't there last season, and that doesn't include people coming from outside of the team, unless you're predicting Philip Grubauer to take over the number one goalie spot. Uh, camp starts on Thursday. The first preseason game is on Tuesday the 18th. That is at home against the Vegas Golden Knights at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. I believe that's on altitude or something. Um, it y'all is. can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. Apparently I'm not wrong. Uh, then we have a little bit of a break before we come back on Saturday the 22nd. That game is at Minnesota at 4 o'clock Mountain Time. And then they turn around. I will say that I saw that game on the guide for NHL Network, that game at Minnesota. Was it NHL Network? Yeah. Oh, okay. That means we have to do some buggery to find that. Oh my god! If if we're not... Hey, I don't know. If it's wrong, blame Comcast in Denver. Oh, I'll blame Comcast without anybody telling me to. (laughs) Um, It was in my guide when I looked last night. Monday the 24th, the Avalanche travel to Vegas. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. I put the app before the time. Uh, They travel to Vegas for an 8 o'clock mountain start, and then they're back home on Wednesday, Wednesday the 26th against the Dallas Stars at 7 o'clock Mountain. We finally get to real tune-up time on Friday the 28th at home against Minnesota Wild at 7 o'clock. And then the final preseason game will be on Sunday the 30th at Dallas, which is a 4 o'clock Mountain start. Now, who (laughs) internally will be added to the Avalanche roster this year? My big dark horse one is Logan O'Connor. Ooh, that is a dark Yeah, horse. <laughs> that's a black hole dark, I think. <laughs> so, so are we talking, like, for, for game number one of the regular season? Or are we talking, like, at all? I'm talking at all. It doesn't have at to all. be game one, although game one would be a good pick. I, I don't think they're going to have anyone in game one that we haven't talked about. You know, it's between, like, Kamenev and Tonato or... You know, maybe if, if a D goes down, when home sticks around, I, I, I'd be really, really surprised if it's, if it's someone else. But I've been saying Logan O'Connor. I think they like something about him when he signed. He showed really well. We didn't talk about him earlier in the rookie uh, portion, but he showed really well. I think if he shows even anything in the, in this main camp and in preseason, I think he's going to be on the short list. I really do. He might not be an NHL regular, but I definitely think he could get called up and get played in the NHL this year. Next up. Boy. I know, we're all shocked. Um, <laughs> Jackie likes Logan O'Connor. Can't believe it. All right, so Lindholm goes to Sweden. EJ dies. <laughs> Someone else gets hurt, and eventually they have to play Milosh, right? It's just got to happen. <laughs> with with Timmy out of the way now, it has to be Milosh. They have yeah. to. They have to play Milosh this year if he's has any sort of NHL future. Yeah, Milosh is a pretty easy pick. And I'll, I'll go with my good friend Igor because um, yes. now that would be I, fun. I, I'm just. I, think that's I'm, a good I, I don't think it's going to be early yeah. at all. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be later in this season. But uh, and just sort of from the very raw stuff we've seen in, in rookie camp, he's showing some NHL-type skills. And even though he's very young and not used to <laughs> North American hockey... He has NHL-like symptoms. 
<laughs> I hope I hope he's the type of guy that they want to call up and use. I I would love it. Have you well, suffered I, I, a I, concussion? I, Do you hate <laughs> Gary Bettman? <laughs> <laughs> you may have NHLitis. <laughs> I I I also think that the fact that he seems to be fairly responsible in the defensive zone may sort of accelerate uh, how the abs feel about calling him up. So sort of, it, it just makes it a lot easier for the coaches in the NHL to call someone like Igor up. If they're like, you know what? Um, you know, we, we could put this guy on a, a second PK in a, in a game that that's sort of well in hand or something like that. And everything would be okay. Or, or we could put him in defensive situations and, feel great about it um i don't think they'll actually give igor the chance but i he's a, such a nice pick to actually do it because the way that he plays the game he's got the skill set to contribute and he's got the attitude to actually play in the bottom lines and contribute well in that role as well yeah i think that'd be a really good pull for the team my since you stole mine i'm just gonna cop out and say kale mccarr <laughs> well, Mark yeah. Couch, Couch should be an easy, you know, kind of an easy one. He should at least get a game at some point. Yeah, Couch would be easy too. Be easy I don't, one. Yeah, but UMass a game is... isn't joining the roster. We all know that Kale McCarr is joining the roster after the NCAA. Season I games. hope so. I don't. No. I wouldn't UMass bet my is going house. all the way. They're winning the Frozen Four. <laughs> okay, book it. <laughs> it is booked. <laughs> They, yeah, David they Quinn's could. gone. It could happen. <laughs> they could get far and at least in their conference term, and then there won't be that many games left. But that that's requiring the Avs to burn a year and bring him in, which I think is still a little bit up in the air. I, it might be what they have to do. Like I get it. Like Carr's a he, he's a he's a top prospect, and there's certain things that organizations have to do for top prospects and hopefully we'll be able to hear it. all about it on talking out our abs next time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about everyone even russian we even watch russian junior hockey so look forward to that that's some dedication to hockey right there definitely check out talking out our abs you said probably sometime next week um, and then Burgundy Radio will return right around the 1st of October after the preseason wraps up to preview the beginning of the real season and talk about some predictions for the team and just kind of get this all a nice bow on it before we launch into the regular season. Y'all know where to find us, uh, SoundCloud, MixCloud, um, iTunes, all those places it is, Burgundy Radio. Um, I'm going to try to use the Twitter account a lot more this season. Um and uh, you can definitely make sure that you check us out at burgundyrainbow.com and the link to our Discord is there where you can hop in and just talk rubbish at any hour of the night about whatever you want. For in anything from the last Avalanche hockey game to whether a pallet that was on fire landed on your foot last night. It's all happened. <laughs> so, um, thanks for tuning in. Keep your head up, stick to the dirty areas, and we will see you again right around the first of October. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, that Sharks guy is just brutal, man. <laughs> like, he was not meant to be a sportscaster. Was it the big Russ guy? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. It was Tony Onato. Oh, I forgot about Tony Onato. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> what were his today it was... Shivram was something different every time. Yeah. <laughs>
Shavrirev, and then then he had Shuvarov. The, <laughs> the best one was when he goes, and the puck gets passed to Shavrirev. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm sure Mosier just dreads this kid getting called up. I know I would. Yeah, Magloo is like deep in study right now. <laughs> Just have to pretend he's a Sedine and call him by his first name. That's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at least he has a nice, easy first yeah. name. To Igor. 